Hi there. Welcome to episode 11 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I am so excited for today's episode, but before we start, I just want to ask or invite you to follow me on Puddle Jump Coaching 001 on Instagram. And uh, if you could, what's that that they, I don't know what people do. They follow, they subscribe, they download. I don't know. But whatever it is, please do it so that other people can hear about this program, about this podcast, because I think it's pretty cool. And I think that the guests are amazing. Now, I told you, I am very excited. I am getting to spend, we are getting to spend some quality time on the playground with a fabulous career development practitioner, Diana Montgomery, and she is phenomenal. So she is learning and career development professional, facilitator, military family advocate, and she's just very cool. This is an incredibly rich, robust, and and real discussion and chat between two career development professionals, and I am absolutely thrilled that you are part of it. So without further ado, please help me welcome the amazing Diana Montgomery. Welcome to the Playground Project, Diana Montgomery. I am absolutely delighted to have you join us today, especially coming to us from Nova Scotia. Welcome. Thank you, Tanya. I'm so pleased to be here. Well, and again, context, we met years and years ago at the infamous (laughs) Community Employment Resource Centre, which I think was still the Youth Employment Centre when you came, right? I believe it had just changed names very newly when I started. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then you stayed there until? I was there. Oh, geez. I'm just doing the math in my head now. I think I was there, I want to say 2010 to the beginning of 2014. So it was just about four years. It's been a long, long time. It and has. I'm, I'm super happy and honored that you're you're here today. And you know what we do? We go back to high school because this is mm-hmm. all about exploring careers and discovering yourself and having fun. And, you know, when we were ch- when we were chatting before emailing back and forth, I said, purpose, plan and pivot. And the more I spent time with that, I really like that. I think that this is kind of what we do in life. We try to figure out what our purpose is. We plan to live a life accordingly. And then we need to be able to pivot when things go a different way. So let's go all the way back to high school. Now you're living in Nova Scotia now, but you didn't yeah. live in Nova Scotia. So tell us about you, Diana, please. Yeah. So I grew up in Ajax, Ontario and uh, lived there until my early 20s. Um, when I made the move to Nova Scotia, I think I, I was one of those people that thought I would live in the greater Toronto area my entire life because that's just what my family did. We were all spread out in the GTA and people moved town to town, but nobody ever left and went to another province. So I'm a, I'm a bit of an anomaly (laughs) in that way. And so when it came to career planning, you know, that's what I always had in my mind is, you know, what can I do 
in this general area. And I mean, thankfully, living in the GTA, you're very fortunate in that it's a massive metropolis. So Mm -hmm. both to Toronto, and there are lots and lots of different kinds of opportunities. Uh, Yeah, my plan, like I think, probably a lot of people that you speak to shifted dramatically uh, over over my lifespan. What I thought I was going to do, even from the beginning of grade nine to the end of high school, completely changed. Well, do tell, please. Yeah. You know, as a, a child born in the early 80s, growing up in the 90s, I think like a lot of young people that grew up in the free willy era, <laughs> we all wanted yes. to be marine biologists. I loved whales. I was obsessed um, humpback whales in particular were my favorite, which when I moved to Nova Scotia and got to see them in person was just a life changing experience for me, let me tell you. Um, but I obviously didn't wind up going into marine biology as a career. I think as I progressed with science courses in high school, I realized that, that wasn't quite where I wanted to be. And I shifted completely to the other side of things and went with one of my other passions, which was art. And I wanted to find a way to help people um, through art. And at that point in my life, I didn't even know that art therapy was a career. I kind of wish I had. It's certainly something I would have explored. But with my dad being an architect, that world was very familiar to me. And I knew architecture wasn't exactly the right fit for what I wanted to be doing. But as I went through high school and I did I did a, a drafting course which I really enjoyed. We got to do, um, we got to choose some of our own art projects. And so I redesigned my parents' bathroom as one of my projects. Yeah. And I actually brought it to life um, with, you know, they gave me a little budget and I made it happen and I designed it up and uh, because they had it in the, uh, you know, the Debbie Travis painted room style. (laughs) Yes, I was there. there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I, I sort of brought it into some modern times when I was, I think, 18 as a grade 12 project. And that really struck my passion for interior design. So that's what I wound up applying to out of high school. And that's what I studied initially when I went to university. So a very dramatic shift <laughs> from mm-hmm. marine biology. I think that's extremely cool. And so where did you take your interior design? So I started off at Ryerson University, which is now a Toronto Metropolitan University. So I started in that program in 2002, I believe. It was an extremely competitive program, and I'm still very honored that I even had the opportunity to go there. I think there was something like over 2,500 applicants from across the country, and they selected 80 of us. And it was quite a rigorous application process because, you know, you submitted your grades and your transcripts and did all of those typical things. But then you had to go there, do a portfolio presentation, talk about your art and your passions. You had to do an interview. And then you actually had to do a test. And I remember sitting in the school, which was a big open floor um, with exposed beams and rafters, really industrial, drafting tables all around. Um, And they sat you in this space and they gave you a piece of paper and they told you to design a multifunctional piece of furniture for a dorm room. And then you had to sit down with one of the instructors and explain it. So it was a really cool cool time in my life. And uh, the study was really intense. I really enjoyed the work, but I did not enjoy the instruction of teaching. And as I got older, I understand the purpose of it, but it was very competitive, very cutthroat, 
and very stressful. I barely slept, I think, my first year of university. And all of us had horrible grades. (laughs) We were like, our class had like a 55 average. And for most of us, we were overachievers in high school, really passionate about what we did. So to go from getting 90s to 55 was really demoralizing. And I think that the psychology behind it is it was basically boot camp for designers, right? Because you're going to be at the whim of your clientele. They're going to be demanding. They're going to be critical. um, And you're going to have to be able to kind of learn how to work in that sort of environment. But I realized that that did not align with my value system and the way that I wanted to help people. So I wound up leaving the program. I went back for second year, did a few months, and I was just very unhappy with it at the time. And so I wound up withdrawing from the program and uh, doing another switch in my career and going to explore another one of my passions, uh, (laughs) which is psychology. So that's what I wound up completing my degree in. I'm seeing a variety of different passions, which is very cool because many people kind of go through their lives and they, they're not able to identify these passions. I'm wondering, how did you know it was a passion? You know, I think identifying passions has never been a problem for me. I've always been very interested in a lot of things. I love learning. I love studying things intensely. Um, if something captures my attention, I'm I'm all in. But psychology was something that really interested me. And I think, I don't know if it came from being in a big family. I have three younger sisters tons of cousins and aunts and uncles, but like watching the way that people interacted and the differences between all of us, even me and my three sisters, you know, we had the same two parents, but we were all very different. And that was always really fascinating to me. What, you know, what causes that to happen? Where does that come from? You know, why are we the way that we are? Um, And I think that uh, that also started to peak. I remember in like grade seven or eight, again, in the program, I I was in the gifted program in Ontario. So the way that we studied was a little bit different. We got to choose a lot of our own projects. And so we were doing social studies. And I worked with a friend on the, um, we did some, um, you know, a little baby psychological study on some differences between the genders. So between boys and girls, um, and the way that we look at different things, because I found that very interesting as well. And I myself was what some would call a tomboy for a little while, you know, like I like Ninja Turtles more than I like Barbie dolls. And then, you know, as you get into the older grades, you start sort of exploring, you know, yourself and your gender identity and all of those kinds of things. So I always found that interesting that I grew up and I was not a a girly girl. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did not want to wear dresses. Do not dare put pink on me. (laughs) Whereas my sisters were really into that stuff. And I thought it was really fascinating. So I was always doing like little things like that and trying to learn about different things. So I think, and I, I really enjoyed my psychology classes and my social studies classes in high school. And when I went back to that thought of, I knew I just wanted to help people somehow. I I didn't know exactly how, but I was like, you know what? I think if I take a degree in psychology, I know that that's going to open up certain doors for me to do further study and specialize. And let's just see where this path takes us. I didn't have a clear intention when I went into the program, but I just knew that I was going to use it to work with people and help them somehow. So that was the the foundation for you of value for you is wanting to help people. Yes, absolutely. So I, I know you've talked to your audience about the colors. Um, mm-hmm. So if it helps people to put this into context, I am a green and a blue. 
<laughs> yeah. So I love research. I love learning. I love analyzing information, but I also love people. Um, so when you put those two pieces together, you can see <laughs> why psychology becomes a uh, path that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that you love learning and you, you know, you have that research bent and, and analysis and stuff. Are you considering kind of continuing the learning journey? Well, it's interesting. So, you know, when we talk about pivoting, uh, you know, we'll fill in some gaps there, but I've I've now found myself working in learning and development professionally. So that was another pivot that I made very recently. So I'm loving that because I get to learn about new topics. And then as a career, I'm paid to teach people to learn these things. As far as schooling for myself goes, it's always been something that's been on the radar. You know, I definitely like to go back and uh, complete a master's. But life circumstances haven't put me in the right place at the right time just yet. Uh, but it's certainly something, um, you know, when my son's a little bit older that I think I would like to do. I think that's terrific. And I, and you're right, we will go back and discuss. But whenever I'm hearing somebody talk about this love of learning, I'm thinking, hmm, you're, you're kind of of that academic persuasion. And you, where's it, where's it going to stop? Because people, people go on, they get their master's, then they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go get my PhD. I don't mm. know, is there going to be a, a Dr. Montgomery in the future? We don't know. Maybe. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> I, it's, you know, I was thinking about doing it right after my, my graduate degree, my bachelor's, but I got a really good piece of advice uh, from one of my professors, Elaine Scarf, who I worked with very closely on some research research practicums. And she said one of her professors gave her this piece of advice in her time, and it it made all the difference in the world to her. And that was when you finish your bachelor's degree, don't rush into another program because you may feel pressure to go one way or another. Um, Those programs will still be there in a year. And it's a great time to just take a little break, get some work, explore what's out there in the world, explore yourself. Because after four years in university. I mean, you've changed so much as a person. You've learned so much. You've learned about so many doors and pathways that you didn't even know existed. So she said, take some time, get some work, and just really think about what it is that you want to do. So that's that's what I did. And, um, you know, talking about pivoting again, I'm, I'm one of those people that's like, when opportunity knocks, I'm going to answer the door. Even if it seems a little bit unusual, I, I have this, I don't know, I have this trust that the universe is presenting me with things that make sense for me. And so I had an opportunity to go and work in the company that my mother worked in, which was Bell Canada, um, as a software tester. And I'd been doing it for summers throughout university. And then they wanted to bring me on full time. So (laughs) that's what I went and did um, right after university. I I went and worked uh, as a software tester with Bell Canada. Totally different from my degree. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that it gave me the space to be one step outside of that field. So I could look at it from the outside rather than while I was deep in it on the inside to kind of get that clarity about where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And so where did you go? Well, during that time, I was looking at my peers, my friends, my sisters, my cousins, and I was watching everybody stumble through their career planning. We're all in our early 20s lots of us were feeling kind of lost and adrift 
Um, and we're doing kind of what I did, you know, jumping from opportunity to opportunity just to explore things. And I kept thinking to myself, gosh, there's got to be a better way. So my mother connected me with a friend who um, worked in career planning with high school students. She did uh, inventories, like the strong interest inventory in the MBTI. And I sat down and talked with her. And, you know, she gave me my results. And there was lots of things in there related to psychology and psychometry and all of those things that I was passionate about as well as things that I had already explored and discovered weren't um, right for me. And then I sort of switched things around and said, well, tell me about what you do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I think this is really cool because having a background in psychometry, which is psychological measurement, that's what I did my thesis on. These inventories were so fascinating to me because that's where their background is, right? It's all in psychometry. And so I was like, wow, you know, like this is really aligned with what I like to do and really aligned with this idea that I have about how I'd like to help some people. Um, because I found my friends were naturally kind of coming to me for advice on these things. And so I did a little bit of research. I discovered there was this amazing program in Toronto where I was living at the time at George Brown College, the Career and Work Counselor Program. It's a graduate certificate, so you have to have a bachelor's uh, degree to get into it. And so I applied, I did the interview, and I got into that program. And it was a 12-month intensive program. And uh, I I loved it. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. I know exactly what you mean, because that's how I felt about my career development practitioner program from Conestoga College. Mm-hmm. I think that having, and I always say this, having that one-two punch, you've got the university degree, and now you've got the college. And yeah. that's the thing about college, which is different from university college actually trains you to get a job. Yes, absolutely. And I think I think that's right. Like I loved the theoretical, the big picture, all of that sort of stuff that you get from university, the research, you know, the the learning, but from the college diploma, I got the practical hands-on, the how to, you know, how to work with an individual, how to perfect your listening skills. We did a group facilitation course, which let me tell you, as an introvert, that scared the heck out of me. But I wound up being so, I found it so energizing um, doing group facilitation. It's really funny because from there, it struck this passion in me. And that's what I've done in, in my career since is, is instruction and group facilitation. Um, and it's so funny because I never, ever thought I would see myself there. I always thought I'd be working one-to-one with people. But uh, I really loved that. And the other thing that I got was two practicum placement. Um, so I got to work in the field for, I think the first one was about 10 weeks and the second one was 12 weeks um, within this one year period. And I got so much excellent experience that it sort of helped to fill that gap between the, okay, so she has the papers, mm-hmm. but does she have the work experience? And I, I got that. So by the time that I graduated, I, my course is finished in the beginning of uh, December and by December 29th, I had a job interview and a job lined up. Um, it happened so quickly because I had all of those practical skills. Yay. I'm absolutely delighted. And what? so where was that first job? So as I finished up my degree, we decided that Toronto wasn't the place uh, for us, specifically my my boyfriend, now husband at the time, found the the busy city not to be his cup of tea. So we were looking at options for where we wanted to move and we had settled on Ottawa. So I applied to jobs in Ottawa. And literally, as the Bell um, technician is plugging in our phone <laughs> to get it connected the day that we move, it rings and he says, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. So I picked it up and it was a call for a job interview. 
So I wound up working um, with an organization called, um, it was for a workshop program called COPE with the Canadian Career Academy, CCA. And the COPE program was a two-week program, facilitated workshops that did career exploration skills. Um, so primarily we were getting folks that were laid off or had been unemployed for a significant period of time. And we're trying to figure out where to go next or, you know, young people that were trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. So my passions wound up coming together um, in this amazing way in that I was doing group facilitation. I was doing one-on-one consultations with people at the end of these two weeks. The entire time we were talking about this process of self-discovery. Um, just, and I had the absolute best coworker. Um, I know, you know, her Karen Steer, we wound up working, um, together Mm -hmm. delivering these workshops. Um, and it was just, it it was honestly my dream job. I I loved it so much. I can understand that. And, uh, working with Karen has been exactly that for, for me, um, at OCSO. So I can totally appreciate that. And so, so there you are. And what did COPE stand for? Oh my goodness, the Career Orientation and Pathways to Employment Program. I had to go really far back in the archives (laughs) in my brain for that one. (laughs) And then, so what happened with COPE? Well, uh, COPE was an unfortunate victim of the uh, Employment Ontario restructuring that happened back in uh, 2009, I think it was, 2010. Mm And unfortunately, we didn't have the capacity to pivot uh, to kind of be a one-stop shop uh, the way the new model was. So we existed in sort of that hub and spoke um, where, you know, folks like Pinecrest Queensway would refer out to specialized services. Um, But when it came back to um, everything should be offered in one place locally for folks, we just weren't large enough uh, to be able to do that. So we um, lost our funding it was not renewed. Uh, and we all found ourselves looking for work elsewhere, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, in a way, it was a blessing because it brought me to Cirque and it brought me to you and the rest of that wonderful team. <laughs> I I totally can. I understand exactly that. You know what they say, everything happens for a reason. And I remember, I remember working together and the fun things that we got to do and when you're there and you believe and you have this this shared sense of purpose and passion, it's it's just there's a lot of gratitude. There's a lot of gratitude. And I don't know if you remember, but that's one of the questions that we were asked during our, our interview for it was how lucky do you think you are? Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I remember that one very specifically. Um, and that one has stuck with me for, for my entire career. Because of course, when I was asked, I was like, whoa, like it took me a minute to figure out how to answer that one. But I thought it was quite a beautiful, a beautiful question. And I remember my answer was, you know, something along the lines of I'm, I was born on a Friday the 13th. So people think that I should be a very unlucky person. Um, But I think that in a way, we can create our own luck by being open to opportunities, um, by looking towards the future, uh, by being present in the moment and kind of recognizing when we're being called towards something. So I said, you know, I think I'm I'm probably about a seven in that regard because I'm I'm open to these things when they come to me. And that's the way I've always kind of felt about my life is is that you you can to a certain degree 
create your own luck. Maybe that's manifesting. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes me think of constructivism, right? Where mm. there's that theory that we're all constructing our, our own careers. Uh, and I was thinking about that this morning at the dog park when, you know, just thinking about this upcoming chat with you because we are two career development people talking and this is an exciting opportunity to to share something that's so incredibly important to people with somebody who appreciates the value of it and who understands it and who lives it. So thank you again for that opportunity. So after you you were there at Cirque and you you left in 2014, where did you go? Well, I thought I would be at Cirque for a very, very long time, but my husband was going on his own uh, career exploration while I was working in the field. And the path that was calling to him was the Canadian Armed Forces. So he joined when we were living in Ottawa and went off for his training. Um, and about two years later, we finally got a posting message and they wanted us to move out to Greenwood, Nova Scotia. So that's where we went. And, you know, I just, uh, I talk about how I'm very positive about all of these things, but I do want to be clear that, you know, leaving the interior design program, finding myself unemployed after COPE, these were all really difficult um, times in my life. Mentally, uh, you know, it was very hard. Going through that job search process was very hard. And I found myself in it again when we moved to Greenwood, Nova Scotia. And as I mentioned, I'm from the Toronto area. We did not know a soul out here mm. in this province. I had never even been <laughs> to Nova Scotia. My friends and I did a road trip knowing that we were heading out there. But, you know, I experienced a few pieces of it as a tourist, but I never lived anywhere outside of, of Ontario. Um, so it was a massive shock to the system, let's say. And, you know, we are in a very rural part. You know, the biggest industry where I am is um, the Michelin Tire Factory, the military and farming. Uh, hmm. There's not much else. <laughs> so for somebody who is coming from you know, two big metropolises living in Toronto and Ottawa, and then coming out here, um, I did not know what I was going to do with myself um, for careers. But, you know, thankfully, I knew the right steps. <laughs> so I was following my own advice that mm -hmm. I would give to all of my job seekers. I was getting to know people, I was networking, I was doing information interviews, I was researching the labor market, and then opportunity knocked again in kind of an unusual way. So as a military spouse, you get access to these wonderful places called the Military Family Resource Centers. They mm -hmm. always have someone there to support military spouses seeking employment in a new area. And so I connected with the employment coordinator um, at the time. And, you know, it was really funny because she's like, okay, send me your resume before you come in for the appointment. And I intentionally didn't <laughs> because oh. I knew it would seem kind of weird when she looked at my resume and thought, oh, you do my job. Um, so I mm. didn't want to do it by email passively. And I waited until I got there. She said, you didn't send me your resume, did you? And I said, no. I said, but I have a good reason for it. And I passed it over to her. And she, you know, did the, oh, oh, you have more experience in my job than I do. And I said, I just want you to know, I'm not trying to steal your job. Um, but I wanted to talk to you to see what is available out here in this. And of course, we had a wonderful conversation. And then she actually disclosed to me that she was potentially moving on to another opportunity down the road, the joy of networking, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there was other opportunities at the center currently 
um, because she didn't know when this was going to happen. Um, she was applying to a job in the government and that can be anywhere from, you know, a year to two years, depending on how things go, or maybe never even happen. But there was other openings at the center and she was talking to me about specifically the uh, coordinator of deployment services, which is somebody who helps military families uh, while their spouse is deployed. Um, and I had tons of transferable skills um, that were right for this position. And being a military spouse myself, who had just gone through two years of my spouse being away um, on various trainings, I kind of had that experience to it as well. So uh, she provided me with some great advice. I think she may have even put in a good word for me. Mm -hmm. um, I volunteered at the center so I could kind of get to know everybody, see what it was like, see if that was something that I would want to do. And mm -hmm. uh, a few months later, I wound up getting the job. So another little bit of a pivot <laughs> in my career there. Uh, so still helping people, but doing it from a very specific um standpoint and, and way of doing it. It's very niche way uh, of supporting people because it's only available in military communities. But I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the employment coordinator wound up moving on to another opportunity in government. Mm -hmm. And I uh, went into my executive director and presented her with a different version of the resume than I had given her when I applied to the deployment coordinator job and uh, gave her one with all of my skills based on employment consulting. And we sat down and we had a great chat. And, you know, after others had the opportunity to apply, I wound up getting that position. Uh, so I moved over and I found myself back in the employment world. And I was there for seven years um, in that role. Seven years. And then? And then good old opportunity knocked again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, the power of networking, right? As as the employment coordinator at the MFRC, I had a lot of network contacts because I was a, a one-woman band there. I was the only one in the center working in employment. Um, so I got to know people all around the valley that were working in employment and learning and all of these kinds of fields. And one of them um, was somebody who worked uh, on the wing for government and uh, was in the learning and career center. So supporting government workers uh, with their own internal career transitions and also providing corporate learning. Um, and I've been doing, as I mentioned, workshops and group facilitation for a long time. So I love that. And of course, I loved helping people figure out their path, right? So this job opportunity came up and, you know, she had sort of sent it to me saying, here you go to kind of pass it along to your clients. And then she had sort of said, is this something you might be interested in? I know you're really happy where you are, uh, but is this something that you would want to do? And the more that I looked at the qualifications and the more that I thought about what she did and the, the things that we partnered on together, I thought, yes, I think that I would. I never saw myself as being a government worker. I loved nonprofit and wearing multiple hats. <laughs> I loved being able to jump on unique projects because, you know, nobody else had the interest or the skills to do it. Um, or to create projects. You know, one of my things that I did at the MFRC was created, well, project manage, we'll say. I didn't create it because I'm not a coder, uh, but project manage creation of an app uh, so people could get easy access to programming and resources. So I would miss that world, but I was like, you know what? Like, there's a lot in this role that I think I would really enjoy. And so I made the transition um, in 2020 to become the learning advisor here at 14 Wing Greenwood, and I've been doing it ever since. You're blowing my mind a little bit, Diana. <laughs> you are a government worker. Mm -hmm. I am a government worker. Yes, yes, I know. And I think, uh, I think that I 
like a lot of things, did not know all that there was to know about uh, working in the government and the types of opportunities. I thought about the clerical roles most often because those were the people that I interacted with. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think I was a little bit biased and misinformed Um, because even when I was in Ottawa, I was like, oh, you know, I don't think that's something I'd ever love to do. But turns out, you know, there's a little niche for everybody (laughs) in in the government, especially in the the Department of National Defense. Um, And it's something that, again, you know, spoke to me on a personal level, being a military spouse and being so close knit with the community, understanding the unique challenges that that folks have that are working here because many of the civilian workers are also military spouses or children of military families where they've been living in this military environment for a very long time. Um, and I'm also working with the military members themselves who, again, are bouncing around from place to place to place and trying to sort of put down roots while they're doing that. So this role brings a, a lot, just a lot, satisfies a lot of my passions and my interests. I'm impressed and I'm surprised because I too have that knowledge of not knowing exactly what is in the government because I too have that same idea of clerical, although now I'm feeling everybody's a policy analyst. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued about that. Do you work with a, a large team? So my team is, so yes and no is the answer to that question. No, in that I'm the only one in uh, Greenwood that does my role. So I am solo in my office, but I do have a great team of about 30 colleagues that are spread out across Canada. And thank goodness for this um, new virtual way of working. You know, I talk to them every day, multiple times a day, usually via Teams, uh, but we get to see each other's faces and we get to have coffee break and we get to work together and co-facilitate. And that's something that actually wasn't done a lot uh, because folks were in their own location, in their own offices. And now that we switched to virtual, I said, why don't we work together? Um, And so that's what we've been doing more and more. And as a result, we have this really wonderfully close-knit team now, uh, which is fantastic. I think that's, I think that's awesome. And what I'm also thinking is that if by working as a, you know, as collaborating as as a team from across the country, if or when somebody is posted to another, to a, a different base, then maybe they've already started a connection with somebody over there and they they have more insights into what it's like that way. I think it, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the great thing. And and part of my decision making when I when I made the switch from uh, the MFRC, which had become my family here in Greenwood, it was really, really hard to leave them. Um, but part of that was, you know, if we do ever get posted, you know, I had a, I had a kid then and I had to start to think about, um, you know, job security and job stability and, and what makes sense for the long term. And and so uh, that factored in. Right. Because as a government worker, um, if you are posted due to spousal relocation, you're considered a priority hire for new competitions, uh, such job advertisements uh, for up to five years. So. Um, that was part of weighing on on why I, I went the way that I did, in addition, of course, to being really interested in the work itself. Ironically, I want to compliment you on being so well-spoken, and yet I can't say the words. <laughs> You're so well-spoken, and I, I appreciate that. Um, you're really painting a picture for our listener of the realities of, of how life goes, that it doesn't go in that linear kind of, this is a ruler, and you start here, and you go boom, 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 all the way up. Till you yeah. retire, 
it is that messy ball of yarn that I talk about. And uh, you help other people navigate their way through their own kind of messiness. There's probably a much better way of saying that, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. And, you know, something that I've, I guess the um, analogy that I've often used for, you know, career exploration and that whole process is that it's sort of like when you get out of a hot shower and you look in the mirror and you can see yourself, but the mirror is foggy. You know you're there. You know what you look like. You think you you know know all the details. But every swipe of the mirror that you do of your hand, you become a little bit clearer and a little bit clearer. And I think that every self-assessment that I've done was a swipe, you know, one swipe for skills, one swipe for values, one swipe for personality. I think every role that I've done in my job, um, in my jobs or in my volunteer has been kind of another swipe. And it's sort of these progressive actions that provide us with that clarity about who we are and, and what we want to be that sort of help us to be able to navigate that that messy ball of yarn, right? Because you start to figure out, oh, there's a free string over there. Should I follow it? Mm no, that one's not, that one's not right for me, you know? And uh, yeah, it, it's certainly a process. You're absolutely right. The idea of the swipe and the foggy mirror, I've actually used that. It resonates with me because that's how I felt after I took my coaching program. I felt mm -hmm. like I've stepped out of the shower and the fog has been like the foggy mirror has been lifted. I don't see that anymore. And I see the clarity and I, I really I really like that. The swiping. I think that's very cool. It's 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 a very visual kind of image in yeah. my head. Um, Another one that I think about when I when I go back to your question about um, you know, passions and interests is like you said, I have I have so many. Um, and I again to kind of use a visual because I am a visual person, I, I think about a flower, right? With with several petals. Um, and then of course there's the center of that flower. And I think every petal of myself represents a different passion or a different interest or a different skill. But whenever I think about what my next step is going to be, I try to bring myself back to where do they all align? Where am I going to get as many of these overlapping as I can? Um, and for the ones that are kind of left out, is there a way that I can satisfy those things in my volunteer life or in my hobbies or in my personal life? Um, because I think, you know, when it comes to careers, we can't look at it in a silo as being separate from everything else that we are and everything else that we do. We spend more time at work if we're working a full-time job than we do with our families. And so it's really important that that's going to be fulfilling and motivating to us, that it's going to tie into our values. And, you know, we can learn new skills. Um, there may be some parts of our job that we're not that interested in, but if we can feel passionate in some way about the work that we're doing, or it satisfies a core need, then we can find other ways to fulfill those things. You know, like I'm, I still love painting, but I've never been a painter as part of my job. That's something that I keep for myself in my hobbies, you know, so there's always different ways that we can kind of look at how to balance these things and, and holistically be satisfied with the life that we're leading. Wow. I'm Diana, you are awesome. And I'm thinking back to the pictures that I've seen of your designing uh, rooms in, in your house. I, I can remember. And now I'm like, oh, because she's you've got 
you've got a real talent and a real natural aptitude for that. And I, I'm really excited for your future. And I'm wondering, and this is an unfair question because, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but Mm -hmm. what's next? What's next? I don't know. You know, that's always been one of my least favorite job interview questions. The way Mm -hmm. you see yourself in five to 10 years, because I don't know if you've gotten this sense from me, but uh, I am... (laughs) I like to play leapfrog, I, I suppose, with my career and with my interests. And and I don't know. I I always try to be where I am in the moment, learn as much as I can from the role that I'm in. And then just, you know, I'm kind of just along for the ride. Uh, you know, one thing that I think I would like to do is get into um, leadership or supervisory. It's something mm-hmm. I've only done very minimally throughout my career. Um, but I do really love um, mentoring and, and coaching other people. And I've, I've done um, supervisory stuff in kind of an acting role before. So that may be what's next for me. But uh, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. And, you know, being a military spouse, too, it's very hard to plan, I've got to say, because, you know, uh, who knows where we're going to wind up next. We could be back in Ottawa. We could be in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Like, who knows? So I just try to make the most of where I am in this moment. And, uh, you know, when we are posted or when we move again, it will be another chance to explore a new facet of myself. Another pedal. Exactly. Wow. I can't thank you enough. This has been an exceptionally interesting, fun, and wonderful discussion. I'm left thinking, absolutely coaching. You need to get, <laughs> you, you need to be doing that. Because I mean, obviously you're you're using the elements of it in, in what you do, but you're 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 very I don't know see my words it's a Saturday morning and my words aren't coming out of my brain (laughs) I feel you I feel you (laughs) you're good like you're good you know you've some people have it and you have it this I I hope that this uh this discussion has shown everybody that's with with us on the playground how much you have Oh, thank you very much. Well, you know, there's a Springsteen song called You've Got It. And it says you can't buy it. You can't learn it. You can't do this. You can't. You've got it, Diana. And you you always have had that. And being able to hear you and listen, I see absolutely leadership and supervisory in your future. You're amazing. You really are. Oh. And they're lucky to have you. Thank you, Tanya. I think you are amazing too. And I, I've loved watching you and your entrepreneurial spirit and all of the things that you've been doing over the last few years. I mean, a published author, a podcaster, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, entrepreneur extraordinaire. It's so wonderful uh, to see everywhere that life has taken you because yeah, you've, you've got it too. Thank you. That means a, a lot. That means a lot. And I have to say that getting older and I'm coming up to 53 soon, mm-hmm. I have no idea what's what's going to come and uh, how it's going to look. And I love your idea of just being in the moment and getting as much from each role, each facet, each part of life. Yeah. I'm sending you a giant hug and I'm wondering, you know, I, I don't know where you're going to go. I don't know. And you could go to Cold Lake, Alberta. You could go anywhere and mm-hmm. you would be in the moment, make the best out of everything, meet new friends, develop new relationships 
and and always be be there and be there for the people in your life too, which is so important. Yeah, I think relationships above all are are really important. And and I know you and I talked a lot about that working together is finding those meaningful relationships wherever you are, surrounding yourself with good people as as much as you can is just so important um, to the way that we the way that we thrive throughout this this crazy world uh, that we're that we're living in. And you've you've created that community. Uh, and that's something that that's actually been a thread through every interview that I've had on the podcast has been the importance of creating community and and choosing your community and being part of one that that nurtures you. And yes. I love that you were able to go to Nova Scotia, didn't know a single soul, and you've created such a community of people. You really know your tribe, and that's so important. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's certainly something that's challenging. But, you know, again, like I said, it's going back to what you said about plan and purpose and pivot. I think that all kind of comes to play, right? It's important to have an idea of where you want to go and um, know what you're passionate about and what your purpose is, but then be able to be flexible in what that looks like. Um, so, you know, as far as where the future leads me, I'm always going to have a little bit of a plan and some ideas. I'm always going to be paying attention to those petals on the flower and what really drives me. Um, but again, being open to opportunities as they present themselves, I think is, is really important and, and being open to people, right? Sometimes I just find I gravitate towards certain people and I, I follow them around (laughs) and there's a reason for that because they're, they're good people and they're interested in the same things that I'm interested in and, and building those relationships has always proven to be fruitful, even years down the road for me. So, um, it's something that I'll, I'll continue to do and, and continue to support people to do the same. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. I mean, you know, I'm a huge, big fan. And I am a huge, big fan of you, Tanya. <laughs> Thank you for allowing little old me to come on your, your podcast and, and have a chat with you. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much to Diana for sharing her words of wisdom, her guidance, and advice. I love the image of swiping the mirror after a hot shower. Talk about mindful career development. I'm so grateful for all this helpful information and really appreciate the gems she shared. Tips like be where you are in the moment, learn as much as you can from the role you're in, look towards the future, and recognize when you're being called towards something. She shared the advice that a cherished teacher shared with her. When you finish your bachelor's degree, don't rush into another program. You may feel pressure to continue your education immediately, but your program will still be there in a year. It's a great time to take a break, work, explore what's out in the world, and explore yourself. Remember the flower analogy. The petals represent parts of ourselves, our passions, interests, and skills. The key is to find out where those petals most overlap, because that will likely bring us the most satisfaction. If you can't get everything from your job, you can also nourish parts of yourself through volunteering or through your hobbies. And what's next for Diana? Leadership and supervisory roles. And I have no doubt that she will reach those goals, because as we learned in the podcast, she's got it. 
thank you once again for sharing it with us, Diana. I'm looking forward to our next mystery guest who will be sharing her career story with us. Buckle up. It's going to be an interesting ride. And thank you so much for coming out to the playground and spending time with me. I love this time we spend, and I'm looking forward to jumping into the future together.